Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. And, well, we've got interviews on interviews on interviews, and that's what this show is on a weekly basis. We've got a lot of the different folks that are going to be on this weekend's card, including in the main event. Dan, 50K, Ige. We were hoping it would be 75K, Ige, but it looks like the bonuses have rolled back to 50K. Just a one-time thing, you know. Dana was asked by Tony Ferguson for 75K, and they did it. Unfortunately, Tony Ferguson was not one of the benefactors of that, but regardless, be that as it may, it's uh, nice to see Dan Ige back in action in the main event against the Korean Zombie. It's a fight he's wanted for a long time. Looking forward to that one. It's a perfect fight night main event, in my opinion. Also on the card, Marlon Vera having a rematch with Davey Grant, Five years in the making. Both of them will join us on the show. Not together, separately. We're not as lucky as Michael Bisping, who gets to have them both on at the same time. Uh, I would recommend you check that out on the Believe You Me podcast. But uh, looking forward to speaking with both of those individuals. Great to see Davey Grant get uh, this kind of late career renaissance. Three in a row for him. Great wins. It's uh, been just a pleasure watching him be able to get back to form. Uh, Also going to be joined by Matt Brown, the immortal. 40 years old, still at it, looking forward to seeing how the immortal Matt Brown is going to be doing his thing in the cage once more against Diego Lima. Has a win over Douglas Lima early in his career. Now he gets to face his brother Diego. I think he might be the only one who's actually fought both Lima brothers, so that'll be uh, something. And we also have uh, two of the fighters that competed this past weekend. We've got Lauren Murphy, who looks to get the next shot at Valentina Shevchenko in the flyweight division as well as Terrence McKinney, one of the best debuts you'll ever see. The fastest knockout in lightweight history at seven seconds. Nice one-two against Matt Favola. We'll talk to Terrence McKinney as well. And uh, that is what we have on the docket for this week's show. Six interviews, and here they are. We'll start with 50K Dan Ige, who joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. I'm now joined by Dan, 50K Ige, and if there was a dance partner that is conducive to earning 50K is the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung who you'll be facing in the main event this coming weekend. I know you you embrace fights like this. You want the toughest opponent possible, correct? Oh, 100%. You know, I mean, the Korean zombie was a guy I've been looking up to pretty much my whole entire fighting career. Just his fighting style, the way he comes in, the way he brawls, his submission game, his, his wrestling game. Um, pretty much his whole entire fighting style. I've always been a big fan of him and uh it's pretty awesome to be able to go toe-to-toe with a guy like the zombie and um here we are three days away and uh, i can't be more pumped for this fight i've been asking for it for a while and uh out of no disrespect but just out of the fact that like this is going to be a crazy entertaining fight um i see it as a favorable fight for me but also see as a fun entertaining fight for for the fans and everyone else tuning in yeah, this is the perfect fight night main event. It's like one of those can't-miss five-round, uh, potentially back-and-forth affairs. Do you think it goes all five rounds? Um, I, I always prepare for five rounds, and mentally I have to. You know, I, I think it goes five rounds, but of course I'm going to be trying to finish him, and he's going to be trying to finish me. So you never know, man. Fighting's crazy. Um, this could be a war, or it could, it could end early. You never know. So um, I'm prepared to go five rounds. That's uh, I'm physically in the best shape of my life. I'm mentally sharp, and um, I'm just grounded, and I'm ready to go. 
Well, your last fight was a quick one, unfortunately for us in the Great White North. A, a big win over Gavin Tucker. Uh, what was your mindset like going into that one? Was it, was it any different than previous fights, or did, did it just happen to... It seemed to me, and this, I meant to ask you about this the next time we spoke, it seemed to me like you had noticed something in his game that allowed for that perfect shot. Am I, am I onto something there? Did you notice a little uh, pattern or some sort of nuance that he had? Just a little bit. Um, and you know what? Like the mindset is to go to, to the first part of your question. Like the mindset is the same. Like going into that fight, I, I did prepare to go for, you know, a three round war with uh, a very tough up and comer, a guy that, um, you know, I was supposed to fight someone else. I was supposed to fight Ryan Hall and then Gavin Tucker stepped in. So for him, it was a huge opportunity to come up and, um, you know, I didn't want to let anyone come up and take my number and take my ranking. And, um, so it was a big risk for me in that sense. But um, to go to the second part of your question, like, you know, I, I, I kind of just the mindset was not to force anything going into that fight. And as we kind of moved around that first little, you know, 10, 15 seconds, I, I kind of got little reads on him. And even like right before we walked out, like in the back warming up, they showed the little clip and he was like kind of he was hitting pads like Muay Thai style. So it was very like, you know, plotty, like tempo pace fighting and I, I and I knew I could time them coming in so um it just happened to work out perfectly man I mean I was prepared for a war but it all it took was one and uh that was probably the best case scenario you mentioned risking your ranking I feel like this is something that needs to be discussed a little bit more in this space and you're somebody who also represents a lot of fighters as a manager um I'm not sure I don't think you deal with bout agreements for the most part and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like a lot of fighters don't realize that there's a big upside to fighting unranked guys uh, by beating them and then getting a step up in, in your next fight, which is what's happening to you here. You, you fought a guy who was unranked, you gave them an opportunity, and then you get the opportunity the next time around. Do you feel like people are a little bit short-sighted when it comes to their rank? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, a lot of people put so much emphasis into their rankings, and to an extent, it, it they do mean something. And, uh, you know, especially in that top five, like, for example, I'm about to face number four in the world and a win over the zombie will put me right there into maybe one one fight away or even a title shot you never know based off of performance but um you know there is a time and place to take those risks to um to risk your number to take a big uh leap of faith there's a lot of good guys that aren't that aren't ranked but but are worthy of earning that shot so um gavin tucker for example was one of those guys who who, who has looked great in all of his fights leading up to mine. And, you know, he was a guy that was very worthy of fighting a top 15, top 10 opponent. And um, I was very happy to give him that opportunity. But it is a risk for me to go in there and, and risk losing to a guy that's not ranked. So I, I, I don't know. There's a time and place for it. And like you said, you know, a fight's a fight. We, I, I get paid the same if I fight, you know, a guy who's not ranked versus – number four Korean zombie, like I'm going to get paid the same. So, um, you know, there's a time and place to take those risks, but then there's also a time and place to be strategic and, you know, try to channel yourself and put yourself in line for, for a title shot. Now, last we spoke, there was uh, something a little bit different. You weren't the dad yet. So how's fatherhood been treating you? Uh, t talk, <laughs> talk to me about that new part of your life. Uh, it, it, it's honestly been, it's been awesome, man. I, it, it's difficult but it's like a good difficult um i found out about the fight literally two days before bam was born and um so i i knew it would be a challenge and the when they offered me the fight like this is the fight i've been asking for so first of all i can't ask for it and then then turn it down because the circumstances don't fit my 
you know, fit my life. So, uh, you know, I, I don't really let the circumstances uh, dictate my decisions. And I knew it was a big risk or not a big risk, but I knew it was a big opportunity for me to go in there. And um, I, I just saw it as a challenge. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it's been a challenge. But at the same time, having a son and being a father has brought so much structure to my life. It's brought structure to my training, um, structure to my, my regiment, my daily regimen. And it's something that I've probably been missing in my life. And now it's something that I have. It's like, I wish I had it a long time ago because I, I really think it's going to make, not only make me a better fighter. I mean, it's, it's already made me a better fighter. It's made me a better husband, better human, better dad, even though it's my first kid. Like I feel like just having that structure in my life and having a little more something to strive for other than, you know, here I'm trying to put food on my table. Now I'm trying to provide a better life for my son and and the family to come so i'm i'm uh i'm really happy about it i'm stoked to come home every day after training and just hold my son and it sucks to be away from him right now for the first time um in quarantine but it's also nice to get a little break so uh man it, it, it's been great and i i look forward to you know watching him grow up and hopefully he gets to watch his dad become a champion what's the story behind the name bam uh, to be honest, I, it just kind of, it just kind of fit. So her dad, my, my wife's dad would, would call him Bam Bam from day one, even, even before we knew it was a boy or a girl. Um, so he was calling him Bam Bam. We found out it was a boy and we thought about it like Bam 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 Bam. And I was like, what about Bam? Like just Bam, like it's kind of Danny gay, Bam gay. It's kind of short and simple. It's not like a super popular name. I know maybe one Bam, Bam Margera. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hence the the Wild Boys t-shirt. Oh, there you go. Uh, Chris, uh, Steve-O right here. <laughs> but um, yeah, Bam, Bam Margera. But I don't know. It just kind of, it, it just kind of like made sense. And like, as soon as he came out day one, like he looked like a Bam. So we, uh, we just went with it and it, it totally suits him because his dad's a fighter. His mom's a fighter. His mom's a strong woman. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, he's got some cool parents. But now I'm no longer Dan Egan. I'm just Bam's dad. All right. Well, I like that. That's very, uh, that's very touching. So um, did anything have to change in terms of your preparation for this fight with juggling um, having a new baby at home? Um, I wouldn't say things have changed, but just the structure. Like my training, in a way, I, I've taken on more training, like a, a bigger load, but a very smart approach um, to this camp and how I approach everything in general. Just obviously recovery is key and having a newborn sleep is very hard to come across. So, you know, I, I'm lucky. I have family in town. I have my mom, I have my wife, and uh, they understand that my sleep right now is priority so I can get the most out of every training. Of course, I have to come home and uh, be dad, but I get my sleep at night, thank God, and uh, I'm going to have to make up for that after this fight. But, um, yeah, honestly, it's just training's been better having the son because because I have that structure and uh, I'm spacing my trainings out, my training sessions out. Like, I've taken a huge, a very smart approach. I, I've invested a lot of money hiring, you know, people on my team just to, to provide that structure for me. And uh, I'm in the best shape ever. And I can't wait to really go out there and show it. Do you feel like your team has a ton of momentum right now with Francis becoming the champion? Uh, it's Coach Nixix, I guess, first pupil to become a champion. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, Francis, uh, everyone in the gym, like everyone's so hungry right now, especially 
them getting to witness our fellow teammate Francis Singano go out there and come from nothing and earn a title. So yeah, it gives us it gives us all hype and motivation. And um, Eric's super motivated as a coach, and just having that that bond with Eric has uh, we've just both grown and elevated so much. So it's it's been great. And uh, I'm just looking to ride the momentum. I feel like uh, I'm in a very good place right now, physically, spiritually, mentally, and so is Eric. And we're just riding this to, you know, till the wheels fall off. Coach Eric has such an interesting story. I, you know, I had spoken to him, and he talked about how he came kind of from a football family. A lot of people in his family were football coaches. Um, and yeah. he comes from, from kind of a strategic background uh, with that approach to coaching. Is it cool to see him kind of grow as a coach as time goes on? Because he, he, you know, he's one of those guys that comes from kind of a different world. Uh, he learned to become a martial, uh, martial artist over, over time and see, seemingly has been able to find a lot of different holes in the games of people that uh, his students fight. But I imagine that his growth as a coach continues to be exponential. Is it kind of cool to sit back and see him improve as a coach while you're his student? It's been great to be honest, um, to answer your question, it's like Eric just has a different eye to the game from coming from a different background, from a football background. Like those guys watch so much tape and they pick up on the little things. And like, that's, you know, that's a, that's evolution of the game. Like fighting is such a young sport. Football has been around forever. So, so they, they, they know the recipe to success in that sense. And, um, he's taken that uh, from that field of work and applied it to MMA and you know uh, Eric's cornered me since my like maybe my fourth or fifth professional fight um, till now and I remember I remember he didn't really have any he didn't coach anyone really he was like kind of a guy at the gym he was the gym manager he, and he he helped out some of Randy's camps and just kind of learned the score he you know he was uh, mentored under Robert Fallis and um man he's just grown so much it's crazy like watching his rise and success as a coach um from literally coming from like nothing to you know becoming coach of the year candidates and now you know now we're starting to get world titles francis Ngano, i know he helped Algermain in and there was a weird circumstances going into that fight but still world champion um and now myself you know i'm on the rise and uh, i'm looking to get a world title myself and it would just be awesome uh to have Eric there with me because uh, he's earned it. He's put in the work and um, he's, he's definitely changing the game in that sense. You mentioned him being, again, coming from that football background and watching a lot of tape when he notices something in an opponent's game that he thinks that you guys can exploit. What happens? Does he call you and say, Hey, you know, put this fight on. I'd, I'd love to just hear the process, obviously without giving anything up about this weekend, but just in general, yeah. when he notices something, how does that work? So, I mean, we could we could break it down from from day one when we find it when we sign the contract and we get the fight we uh you know he he he'll he'll watch film himself and then we we kind of just he'll start taking notes obviously and then then we meet as a team and we we start breaking down like you said exploiting the weaknesses finding those holes and then um we'll watch film together where we point little things out but just his breakdown in general it's uh it's great to see. It's very, very plain and simple. Um, I've seen other coaches. Uh, um, Tyson Charty actually is very, very great at breaking down opponents, and they actually broke me down and and sent sent me the breakdown when when I fought Calvin Cater. Like the breakdown 
uh, basically for Calvin to beat me, like everything. And I, I read that and like Eric, Eric, Eric takes that and takes notes and takes into consideration. But he just has his own way and his own approach. And um, man, it's, uh, it, it's great. And it's nice to have someone on your team doing that because I like, I like to do that myself. I watch film and try to like see little things, but I also like, I don't put too much emphasis into it because at the end of the day, it's a fight. Like you still have to go fight. And um, that's the beauty of it. So, uh, man, it's it's nice having someone that, that looks out for you and has your back. And um, I put my trust into him, and he trusts me to go out there and perform. So, you know, it's a mighty duo. God, that is so cool. So Tyson sent you guys the, 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 the playbook afterwards so you could go over and kind of clean up some of your own weaknesses. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was, it was cool, to, cool of him to do that. He didn't have to do that. So uh, props to that. And, um, yeah, it's just nice to, like, see someone else's breakdown of yourself like i like to do that i'll go watch a fight and i'll see i'll watch my own film and um because that's what the my opponent's coaches are looking at they're like all right where can we exploit this guy so i i I watch my own film more than um my opponent's film if anything because i don't want to be the same fighter that i was and i want to be better and i want to i want to just it's almost like the element of surprise like i want to surprise people like i'm not that same guy that i just was in that last fight i'm not the same guy against calvin cater or uh, gavin tucker or edson barboza mirsa bectic the list goes on and on but i'm a constantly growing and improving fighter physically mentally tactically technically and um here we are man all right well uh, best of luck to you this coming weekend uh taking on the korean zombie chan sung jung in the main event of UFC Fight Night. Appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing your continued evolution and congrats on becoming a dad. Thanks, dude. Thank you, man. It means a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to go out there and compete and uh, look forward to putting on a show for everyone. Pleased to be joined now by Cheeto Vera, who will be taking on Davy Grant this weekend. You must be impressed with what Davy Grant's been able to put together lately. You know, it seemed like he was kind of clawing away and now he's on quite the win streak. Yeah, good for him. Uh, he's looking good. What, what, what do you think um, has been the turnaround for him? What, what has he been doing better if you look at his earlier fights versus now? Well, honestly, I don't know. And it's, I, don't, I don't really, really care about what he does, but he's been, he's been winning. That's the most important thing in this game. So this next hour, we're going to face each other one more time, and I'm planning on turning that around for me. All right, so let's forget about David then. Let's talk about you. What do you think you've improved the most from camp to camp, from your last fight to this one? I I just believe I I stay pretty consistent. I stay pretty pretty disciplined through the year, and I'm always trying to add a little bit on my on my on my arsenal. And the most important thing is being in shape. Like you cannot go in a fight guessing yourself. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna be ready. Like I know I can step in the gas for 15 minutes, and I will be fine. What did you think of Brandon Moreno's win over the weekend? He's the first Mexican champ. I know you're from uh, from Central Central America. Ecuador's in Central America. Yes, I love it. I was super happy. Uh, Mexican make it happen. Uh, it's just fucking awesome. Like if you're not supporting that, if you're not on his wagon, you're a fucking hater. And I love the fact he become a, a champion. And I love the fact he's able to train in you know in the U.S. But being you, you know just cross the border and train at home like. In order for me to go to Ecuador, I need to take two airplanes. So it's a little harder for me, but, you know, good for the guy. It's so, so awesome. He can, he, can, he can be back home and be a world champion. 
that easily. And well, not easily, but I'm talking about easily going back home. But just it's it's just fucking beautiful the way he did it. First Mexican champion, but also the first champion managed by Jason House from Iridium Sports. Your manager. How's Jason been this week? He must be uh, floating. He's he's happy, man. I I I've been with Jason my whole UFC career and just seeing the work he put. I remember one point of line I was after I I uh, I lost to David. Uh, I remember it was me and him alone in London. Like literally have like maybe six more fighters. No, none of them were well known. I I'm guessing Bobby Green back then was the biggest name, and and it was just like I'm like, hey bro, can he? Can I go live with you? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I cannot get say training in Ecuador. Like, if you guarantee me the UFC won't cut me after here, I need to go and move to the US. Like, there's nothing for me in Ecuador. Like, I've been fucking my career by saying back home. And he was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I didn't knew him that well. He was my manager, but he's a guy from California, from Ecuador. We talk over the phone often, but I was like overnight, like, hey, dude, can I go from London to California with you and just stay with you he's like uh yes i guess so but i can tell he was like oh, we don't know each other much and we became fucking brothers after that and and i remember back then you know there was nothing like you know it was it was me six other guys and him and his partner jeremy which is another great uh, guy a, a great part of the company and hard work make things happen man that's for sure yeah he was a, a waiter at outback Steakhouse, I believe, when he was being a manager. So I'm sure you probably saw him working so hard during the day and then working at night as a, as a I think he was a waiter or something. Yeah, dude, I, he's, he, I'm sure he have many jobs like that. But when I was living with him, it was, you know, there was a rough days. Like, if I have three grand in my account, that would be exciting, right? And I'm sure he had, like, I think back then I, I would pay him, like, fucking 800 per five. It wasn't much, dude. So it's been, it's been, it's, it's been a, a good run for him and, of course, for all of us. Yeah, he told me once that he gave himself two years. He said, if I, if I can't get somebody signed to my roster in two years to a, a major organization, I'm just going to stop. And I think it was like a day or two before the two-year anniversary that he got somebody signed to a WEC deal. I can't remember who it was. It was like his first fighter to fight in a major promotion. So it's been, uh, been nice to see him chipping away, nice to see Brandon become a champion. And, and hopefully you're next uh, for, for Jason Howes in terms of champions. You've been working really hard to, uh, to move your way up the, the rankings in the Bantamweight division. Um, I'm putting in work, that's, that's for sure. And I'm just a guy that wake up every morning thinking I got to get it done. And I'm, you know, chipping rocks every day. I'm, I'm ready to go. What was the big key for you from when you were on The Ultimate Fighter to where you are now? Where do you think you had your, your biggest moment of development? Uh, and, and how did that happen? I believe just leave, leave Ecuador and start finding work in California. And I believe this, this last year and a half, two years, me and Jason Perillo have a, a great clique, a great, uh, you know, we just understand each other well. And then, you know, he just translates fighting to me easy. And and I've been looking him for, I, when I was in other gyms, I was like, he was on my loop for many years. I just didn't pull the trigger. And, you know, now I'm like, you never reg- regret because you're going to go back to the past. But sometimes I wish I did it earlier, but we're here, we're strong. So fuck it, we're good. How have your family enjoyed living in California? Um, I, I know that before your fight, I think it was in Anaheim. I saw you and your family out and about um, a night or two before, just you know, kind of taking in the in the city. 
Yeah, they, they, they love it. You know, we have a beautiful home in Costa Mesa. You know, we're uh, two miles from the beach and it's it worked out every, like great for us. Like we bought a house, we, and every, every half, like every, every couple of months we, you know, fix it, redo it the way we want to look and it's pretty much done. And we have our, our dream house, you know, and it's just a blessing to be able to, to live it up to the fullest. I'm sure you hate talking about Sean O'Malley, but people always talk about your win over him. I don't hate. No? Okay. no I'm good, yeah. I know, but I know what is the point you're saying. But I'm, I'm cool. Like, I, don't give, I just don't give a fuck about nobody, dude. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask, did you lose a lot of respect for him by the way that he handled that loss? Oh, I don't even give a fuck about what he says or what he thinks. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fighter, dude. Like, I, I, and I will say this a hundred times. I know it you know, sounds silly. I say it all the time, but I'm the type of guy, like, if literally that door right there opens and he's there and he says, fuck you, I'm going to stand up and fight him. Like, I'm not a guy that just shake your hand and be like, yeah, it's for the media. No, fuck you. It's, it, like, we're going to fight regardless. We're going to fight. So I'm super open to the trash talk. I'm super open to whatever. But, you know, if you're close to me and you say, fuck you, I'm going to say, fuck you with this one. So I don't really dislike him or like him or respect him. Respect. I don't just don't give a fuck that. He's a, he's a dork. He's like, I, I said this before. When people talk about white trash, it's the best. Um, have you ever had that kind of animosity with other opponents, or is it usually just all respect afterwards? Dude, honestly, myself, I'm not the type of guy that I'm there to bow to you. It's, this is a defeat fight game. Like, this is not a sport. We're going to do it in a fucking face way. So I'm not trying to shake your hand and give you a hug and tell you God bless you. Fuck you. You want to take the the, the, the the food from my kids and family. So, you know, I'm super chill. I'm, I'm I'm a hippie. But I'm not about being your best friend before a fight. I'm, fuck you. You're going to take everything away from me? That ain't going to happen, buddy. So I have that mentality, you know. It's either you're my friend, you work with me, we work together. Or you're in the other side, and we're going to get in a fist fight at any moment. When you say you're a hippie, what do you mean? I mean, hippies are usually pacifists in nature. <laughs> Explain. I'm, I'm pretty chill, dude. You know, but if we're, if, if, if we're going to get in a fist fight on contract, I'm not fucking your friend. But outside fighting, lay back, train hard, go home, have fun with your friends, grill, barbecue, smoke a little bit of weed eat some mushrooms, and, you know, give hugs. But, you know, when we send a contract to fight, I'm not going to be your friend. I'm not going to be your homie, you know? You know, it's just, it's just the way, it's just business. So after the fact, though, if somebody comes up and it's all respect, you're, you're respectful to them then. It's just, it's, oh. it's if they're not respectful to you, you're not going to be respectful to them. That's basically what you're saying? Yeah. Like, if you shake my hand, I shake your hand. But, you know, don't shake my hand and go talk shit because next time I see you, I'm not, not going to shake your hand. And then... I'm pretty easy to get in a fist fight. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be hard to 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 it. Like, if you give me the wrong energy, I'm gonna fight. If you're nice, I'm the nicest to you. So, if O'Malley, um, if you were offered a rematch with O'Malley, would you want to face him again, or does it not matter to you? Do they just give you a contract and you sign it and you're good? Easy, bro. <laughs> easy. You send me paper, I sign. Hey, even that, I don't even sign. I tell my manager, just fucking sign for me. I don't, I, I, you know that silly picture that most fighters post like signing the contract? 
Yeah, I don't fucking do that. Because I mean, just, just, just tell him, yes, we're good. Let's do it. Let's just fight. He's, I love to fight. You get a picture of Jason signing the, uh, the contract and you just put your face on it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Yeah. And what, what, I mean, Coach is a very laid back guy too. Are you and him are a good fit for that reason? Oh, fuck, dude. He's the man. Like, here. That's what he's all about here. And he's fucking good at telling you how to, how to, how to fight. Like, you know, but he's experienced, you know, he, you know, he, his coach, you know, Jesse Reed, he have some, some of the best boxers on earth. So, and the way they talk fighting is what I like. Like, it's not about all this crazy training. Man, you can make it simple when you know what you're doing. And that's what I really like. And as a person, even more, he's a fucking funny guy. I love that. So it, we're having a good time all the time. But when it's time to work, we work. So if you come out of this fight this weekend injury-free, when would you like to fight again? Do you have a timetable in mind? In the next couple of weekends, if God bless me with that. But I will, I would love like you know like a. I would love to have one of those quick turnarounds, like literally, like, you want to fight in 10 days? Fuck yeah, I want to fight in 10 days. But if not, realistically, uh, a month or two. I'm in the gym all the time, so this fight's going to happen. I'm going to chill for the weekend, of course, after like that weekend of the fight. But I might be running on Monday or Tuesday. All right, Most like, I'm, I'm running all the time. <laughs> All right, Cheeto. Well, it's, uh, it's nice uh, chatting with you. I, I will be respectful to you if I see you in person. I don't want any trouble. I don't want any trouble. <laughs> no, no, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm saying, like, you know, like the brothers, like these days, fighters, they, you know, they see somebody like Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is Conor McGregor. He's not faking it. Some of these guys try to be like that, but they're, they're not about it. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I'm about being myself. Like, I'm a comedian. I can, I can crack some jokes. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say something about your family and then see you and be like, hey, bro, it's all good. No, bro, like, the moment, the moment you talk shit, you just got to know we're not going to be cool. But I'm down for that. Like, I don't, I don't hate it. I just don't promote it. So I guess your motto would be uh, don't talk about it, be about it. Is that right? Be fucking about it. Like, if you like that, be 100%. But don't be, don't be one nice like Habib. You know, like respectful, all about God. Don't be the next day like Connor. Don't be the next day like Nate. Be your fucking self. All right, Chido, I like that. That's inspiring. I appreciate that. This weekend yourself, Davy Grant, looking forward to it. Nice speaking with you. And all those guys that talk about it, I love all those guys. They're fucking good examples of being hard to be a fighter. He is dangerous, Davy Grant, and it's a rematch about five years in the making against Cheeto Vera. I'm, I've got to say, Davey, I'm very shocked at how well you've managed to turn your career around. You battled a lot of injuries. Now you're on a three-fight win streak. Was there something that was key to, to changing your mindset, to getting such consistency in your career? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure. I, like, I always do the same thing. I train so hard for these fights. Uh, I really do go the extra mile all the time, like, as in regards to preparation and, and like, training. Everything, me, me whole entire mindset. I don't, I, I don't know. I think it was just... Uh, you know, it's it's the fight game, and a little bit of good luck or bad luck here and there can change things. And a couple of couple of good fights and performances can like really really skyrocket you. 
you battled a lot of injuries early in your career. Um, yeah. How how hard of a hurdle was that to overcome? And do you get nervous at all uh, when you're training now or you're going into fights that, that they could resurface at some point? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's all it's always a worry. You know, yeah. It's it's such a dangerous sport as regards to injuries. I mean, you can go and blow your knee out just like one little mistake, roll with the wrong guy or do the wrong thing. It can happen so easily. And obviously, I've been there and I've done that. I train a lot smarter now than what I used to. But uh, I feel as if um, I don't. I don't. I try not to let it bother me. I try not to let it affect me training. Just try and be a lot more sensible than when I was younger. Was there ever a time where you thought maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore? Where the injuries were really starting to pile on? Uh, it took you a while to get back in there and to get the kind of consistency you have now. Was there was there ever a moment of doubt in your career? No, no. I'll be honest. No, I, I really. I mean, I don't get it wrong. I didn't like it at the time. But I always knew there was light at the end of the tunnel, and I know I always knew I'd be back fighting, and it's it, it's good. I feel like I'm finally starting to fulfil uh, somewhat near me potential. Yeah, it must be nice to silence the doubters. I'm sure that there was a lot yeah. of people that were doubting you along the way, and now you're on your way to becoming a ranked fighter. Yes, definitely. That's that. That's the plan. And uh, like I say, I've I've worked really hard for this, and uh, and it's nice to to start getting where I want to be. What's your training situation been like in the UK? Um, are you you are still based in the UK? Yeah, yeah, based in the UK, yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's, we, I mean, because I've got my own gym, uh, even when the lockdowns and stuff were on, it was, I, I still had a, a place to go and train. I've got some really good guys who, who I coach and get coached from and some really good training partners all over the board. So, yeah, things are good. Things are, I, I try and stay with people that I trust, um, highly skilled guys, and stick with the coaches that I know and who know me. And, and like, cause I, I am... I have had some bad injuries, like you say, and also not just that. I'm 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 like 35, you know what I mean. So I'm not exactly young. I don't heal up like I used to. So I've really got to monitor things and and listen to my body when going into the training. And I just feel like everything's working for me. Yeah, this is I guess your fourth fight in what, what about two three years, right? So you've started to get a yeah. little bit busier, which I'm sure is nice for you. Definitely, yeah. It's great to get a little bit of momentum going and uh, get some some like consistent fights and like this one's been the quickest turnaround ever in the same place you know i feel like i was just here literally like you know it's like I'm, I'm, the room's exactly the same as what it was last time it feels like i've like literally got, gone home for a little bit and just come back and straight into the swing of things it's great and Cheeto vera of course he's improved quite a bit since the last time you guys fought it was 30 yeah. 26 across the board where do you think yeah. he's improved the most i mean um i'm not too sure i think he's just like sort of improved a little bit everywhere I think he's a, a little bit more game that comes forward. He's, he's obviously a durable guy and, and he's had some great wins. So, I mean, yeah, looking forward to it. Fantastic test. He's an interesting guy. I spoke to him a little bit earlier and he's he's uh, not one for games. He, he wants people to just be themselves, to be authentic. And uh, then I watched you and him on Bisping's show and it seems yeah. like you guys have a good mutual respect for one another because Cheeto doesn't seem to, uh, he doesn't seem to want to play around. Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, like, we both know what we're there for. We, you know, we fought before. And we're, we're both here to make money for our families, and uh, and we're both fighters, and and that's what's going to happen. It's going to be a, it's going to be an all out all out battle. So, what do you hope to achieve in your career? Still, I mean, you're, like you said, you're 35 years old, which yeah. is, is kind of the tail end of a career in the lighter weight classes. But you also yeah. had a lot of time uh, where you where you weren't as active, so you you don't really have the same miles as a lot of fighters that are the yeah. same age as you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly it. I mean, I, I feel like I'm 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 still statistically you wouldn't think that at my age I'm at the peak of my career but I know for a certain fact I'm at the peak of my career I know how I feel I know how I feel going into the octagon I know how I feel inspiring and training and uh, and, and I really feel like I'm still getting better 
Um, so, I mean, I've, I want to break into these rankings with this next fight, and then I want to climb the rankings, and then I'm here for the title shot. That's what I want. I want the title. How did that last fight feel? Because Jonathan Martinez is an excellent striker, and you, and you were yeah. able to outstrike him and, and finish him in the second round. Yeah, it was it was a night like again a great test, a good good quality opponent. He had some really good wins under his belt. Uh, tricky striking. It was nice to go and get in there and work him out, and then uh, come off victorious with a with, with a pretty like a pretty good good win. Uh, it's always nice to win by knockout, and then you get the performance bonus for for sure. Now, I want to ask about your season of The Ultimate Fighter, because Ronda Rousey said she would never do the show again after being on it. She said that they painted her in a negative light on the actual <laughs> show. What was it like being on her team, and do you agree with what she said? Do you think that they, they showed more of negative stuff than the positive of, of her on the show? I think definitely, but, like, um, I mean, she was honest. When she was with us, like, she was just really nice and bubbly and caring towards the team. Um, it didn't come across like that. It's obviously not as good viewing for, for the public. It wasn't, like, the main... The main staple of the show, she like obviously had a had a beef with Misha and stuff like that, and like and that's between them. It's just like that that's their own personal sort of uh, vendettas against each other. But uh, from my point of view, my own personal point of view, she was lovely. I couldn't speak highly of her. You know, she helped us all out. I went and stayed with her afterwards and did some training over at Glendale. It was uh, it was fantastic. So I, I think I've got absolutely nothing nothing to say about her. Now, except were, for good. <laughs> except for good things, yes, of course. Yeah. Now, you were in the finals against Chris Holdsworth. Uh, in the last year, Holdsworth has withdrawn from the USADA pool. He always yeah. kind of wanted to keep himself uh, in it just in case, for whatever reason, he thought that he was able to make a comeback. Uh, yeah. To me, I thought he had such huge upside in the sport. I thought he could become a champion one day. It's such big size for the division, yeah. uh, such great submission skills. Uh, are, were you sad to see how things went for him? Yes, very. I mean, Chris was a good guy. Um, I got on with him in the house. You know, we fought. He beat me fair and square. You know, hats off to him. He he was the better man on the night. Um, I, I disappointed for him. I thought he could have done well. And, he, and like you say, like he's a good guy. I've got no, nothing against the guys because I fought. I would have been, it would have been nice to to try and work my way back to get that fight again because like it's always going to be nice to try and avenge your loss. You know, so I was looking forward to to trying to get that back with him. Like, uh, but it, totally respectful not to fight him just to fight him just because like that's the game we're in and, and I'm sure he understands and uh, it, it's a shame to see his career go out like that and I, and I wish him all the best and he's like I think he's coaching now for Alpha Male isn't he so I mean all the best to him he, he, he is one of the good ones yeah, he's starting to do grappling tournaments again so that's it's good to see that he's able to, right, to cool, at least be active cool. in some sense yeah uh, that show was what seven years ago does it feel like it was that long ago at this point yeah, I mean, it, it's weird. It's, sometimes it feels like it was yesterday and sometimes it feels like forever. A lot of things have happened since then. Uh, but, but I still remember it like really, really vividly because it was such a big part of my life. And it, like that was my gateway into the UFC. And, and honestly, I enjoyed every minute of it. I, I, I really, honestly, I've been... I mean, I, I know everyone says about the bad luck and the injuries and stuff, but I thank my lucky stars that, that I'm here and I'm able to do this. I'm able to, to fight for this promotion and get these sort of opportunities. I mean, I know in the last year, everyone's been locked down in England and I've travelled to like Vegas twice now and I went to Abu Dhabi. I had some of the best performances in my career and uh, it, it, you've just got to look at all the positives and I, I really, really feel so lucky just to be a part of all of it. It's such a high-pressure environment being in the tough house. Did it feel like it, yeah. la like it went on for a long, long time when you were there, or did it feel like it was really fast? I'm, I'm always curious about that because it's just such a different environment from what one would be accustomed to. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was uh, it was strange because it was like it seemed to go really slow, and then towards the end, when it was the last few days, the last few days like was like cabin fever when you knew you were going home, especially when I knew I was already in the finale. And uh, 
it was like the last few days dragged. That was like a really, really testing. And if you'd have asked me then, would you do it again? I'd have said, oh, I don't know. I really wouldn't have known. But if you asked me now to do it again, I'd jump at the chance. Well, I, I hope you don't have to injure that again. I, as much as yeah. you say that, I'm sure. Uh, do you have a family at home? I'm sure you probably wouldn't want to leave them for a long time. No, no. I've got yeah, I've got a family. I've got like I've got my wife Sheree, and I've got I've got three kids, Jane, Nate, and uh, and Heidi as well. They're my absolute life. Well, I've been home with three kids for the last year and a half as well, so maybe I would like to do the show too and get, get some uh, relaxation. That's <laughs> so why I hear. You. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, it's been it's been testing times for everyone, hasn't it? But yeah, we got we got to love it. Well, Davey, it's been a pleasure to watch you get that consistency in your career that you've been craving, uh, to, to see you. that you've been knock-on-wood injury-free, and we look forward to seeing you compete this weekend against Cheeto Vera. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thanks very much. He is the immortal Matt Brown looking to add another Lima to his resume this weekend, facing Diego Lima. Uh, Matt, how's preparation been for this particular fight? Uh, amazing. Everything's been just on point, sharp. Injuries healed up really well. Feeling better than I have in a long time, man. I'm very excited to go in there this weekend and do my thing. Now, did you watch Douglas fight this past weekend by any chance? I mean, it's, it's rare that they fight so close together. I did not. Okay, well, then I, can't, I have no follow-up question for you on that. <laughs> uh, I've noticed yeah. uh, you've, you've uh, I guess, have your own gym. And early on during the pandemic, it was, it was hard for you to, to have classes. How have things been recently? Has, has all of that kind of blown over in Ohio? Oh, yeah, it blew over. Um, you know, we opened up, you know, I think we were shut down for like a month or something maybe. And then, you know, we opened right back up and, um, you know, I don't want to get into a big, you know, back and forth or anything about anything, debate or anything. But, you know, we went straight to no social distancing, no masks and everything. And we haven't had any problems, uh, um, you know, n- no issues at all. So, you know, I think with a lot of young, healthy people, working hard all the time i think you know that goes a long way i don't know the science uh, i don't you know i don't want this to be i don't want it to turn into one of those things i don't know the science don't care um you know no one got hurt so i'm happy you know and uh yeah but after the we opened up it was like new year's again i mean everybody wanted to get back into a gym um had a, had a great turnout all uh, the classes blew right back up and uh, we, we've been going strong ever since yeah, I heard in your interview with Mike Swick, it seemed like a lot of members really stepped up and uh, and kept the gym afloat during a tough time. Yeah, well, I mean, they didn't have to, um, but uh, in in terms of, I mean, we didn't need them to do that, um, but they did do it. And it, what what a meaningful thing, man! You know, when you build something like that that people care that much about, um, that's a really good feeling. And and that's you know that's part of like having to wanting to open up. You know, these people are are offering their help so i want to offer my help so you've got a couple of businesses you also have a coffee business immortal coffee did that help uh while the gym was closed to, to have another income stream yeah a little bit um the COVID helped that business a lot people weren't going out to coffee shops people were ordering online a lot more and we're online only a coffee business with that so uh COVID was great for that and yeah you know just um, staying on everything, man. You, you know that's that's how we that's how we do it, man. Every, wake up every day and work hard and um, try to get one percent better at everything. You guys shipped to Canada. I just got this pour over kit, and I, I've been making all these great cups of coffee lately. It's 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 really been a game changer for me. We will ship to Canada for you. 
<laughs> for me, okay. All right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> order, and if I have any problems, I'll contact you. Absolutely. No, we do ship to Canada. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%, man. Uh, we have a lot of uh, Canadian followers. I love those guys up there. What made you decide to get into that business? Well, that was, uh, let's see, how did that work out? So I was actually being sponsored by a coffee company, and he was having just a small company, you know, and, and, and he was having some issues, some legal issues with his current business. But I, I called him a few times and, man, this is like the best freaking coffee I've ever had. Like, what are you doing with this? Like, where are you getting it from? And we just became friends. And he was like, you know, I, um, I, I'm ready to move from the business that I have um, and, and start a new coffee business. Immortal has a good ring to it. What do you think? There you go. Easy. It's just, just a quick phone call. It's not, not like major business meetings or anything. Just an idea and there it goes. It gets manifested. Hey, that, that's the way I usually do things, man. I'm spontaneous. I, um, overthinking can, can be a big problem. So with this coffee, you know, how long has coffee been something that you, uh, you, I guess, relied upon or enjoyed? And I know that you, on your website you talk a lot about how it has uh, really positive impacts on, on working out. Yeah, I'll tell you, I've been a coffee drinker for many years, but I didn't really get into coffee, like the roasting process, the the bean selection, all, all that kind of stuff until I met my business partner and he kind of broke some things down to me and I had no idea how deep it got and then I just kind of became a coffee lover after that. Yeah, I know you guys do uh, direct sourcing or fair trade sourcing, so that's, that's really cool as well. Um, and uh, so for for this this particular business, it's been going well. Like it's it's been uh, you know been a, a really uh, successful thing for you and your family. Yeah, it's been steady growth the whole time. I mean, you know, we're still young. It's not knocking it out of the ballpark. You know, when I'm not making a living off of it. But like I said, it's still young and uh, little by little, man. Um, that's how both of my businesses. That's kind of how I've decided to run them: is grow organically, not put you know, $10 million into it and do a bunch of crazy stuff. It's like, let it grow on its own and then, um, you know, take it step by step, little by little. Well, the website says that if you drink the coffee, you will be immortal. Are those results guaranteed? Yeah, because if, <laughs> if I, I guess if, uh, if, if you die, then you're not going to sue us for... <laughs> 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 I, I like that. That's that's a good idea. That's uh, that, that's fair enough. Um, so with with Diego Lima, when you look at his game, I know we're transitioning back to uh, to MMA here. When you look yeah. at his game, what do you what do you think of it in comparison to uh, to Douglas? In comparison to some previous fighters you fought, um, Diego is very technical, really good at setting the pace that he wants the fight to be at. Um, very sharp, man. So. Yeah, you know, he, he offers a lot of challenges, man. And, um, you know, there, I, I actually emulated him for Jesse Taylor when, because I coached Jesse for the fight, for the Ultimate Fighter finale. Um, so, yeah, you know, I've studied Diego a lot. I trained with him a little bit on the Ultimate Fighter and coached him a little bit, coached against him. So I know his game pretty well. He knows my game well. I, I coached him. I taught him some of my things. And that'll be fun, I think, if uh, if we end up in some of those positions that I taught him and then see if he can stop it. Now, this is a question that at age 40, I'm sure you're asked a lot, but how much longer do you want to do this for? And also, uh, on the flip side of that, 
having that knowledge that you, you, that you are kind of in the later part of your career and not having those kind of expectations put on yourself of, you know, where are you gonna, when am I going to be ranked and blah, blah, blah. Does that make it a lot easier for you to do this? Um, that's a good point. To be honest, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, that, that does relieve some pressure. Knowing that I've kind of laid the foundation and everybody, uh, you know, I, I think that I have a good rapport with the UFC and knowing that even if somehow I wasn't to win this fight, that they'd still probably keep me on and still support me. Um, yeah. So I can't remember what you asked first, though. Yeah, it's a two-part question. Oh, just yeah, about like how much longer do you plan do you plan on doing this for, or are there no plans? It's just kind of see how it yeah. goes and, and go from there. So, yeah, I definitely do kind of one fight at a time right now. And I talk about this all the time. Anybody asks me that question, I'm like, hey, if if it was just fighting and I could rely on fighting for ten years, I would definitely do it another ten years. I, and I think I absolutely could. The problem is that fighting is not a reliable source of income. Fighting is not a reliable, uh, really, for much of anything, <laughs> you know. And I've relied on it for a long time, and that's that's a hefty burden, man. Um, I've had fights where I'm like, dude, like, I mean, before the UFC, where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my rent if I don't win this fight, you know. And that's a pressure that you don't want or need in your life. So, um what it really comes down to is the outside life, how all that kind of works out. And if I can take care of that, then I will fight for a long time. Um, if once that kind of overwhelms my ability to train fully, um, that, that's what it'll, that's what will be the showstopper. And at this point, you're just doing it for the love, which, again, I think takes away a lot of pressure. Yeah, I think uh, mainly for the love. But also, man, I, I think I... Uh, I know that I have a lot left to give and, and I, I haven't had my best fight. I can show, oh, excuse me. Um, I, I can show a lot of skills that I've never shown before. I can do a lot of things that I've never done before. And um, I'd like to get that knockout record. So, yeah, you know, I think I, I have a lot of time left in this if I really want to. It's just, I think it's, you know, something, again, I'm, I'm focused on the fight one at a time. And then after the fight, I'll sit back and reflect and see how life is treating me and see what kind of cards I'm dealt and how I want to play the hand. Did you happen to watch the uh, UFC card this past weekend? Um, I didn't watch the main card. I watched the prelims. So you saw Terrence McKinney's debut. Did you did you hear his, his backstory and did that resonate with you at all? I know you had a kind of a similar situation in your younger years. I didn't hear his backstory. So he was, um, I guess, prior to becoming a, a mixed martial artist or, or a professional mixed martial artist, he was at a party in college and, and uh, was given, I guess, a lot of acid and, uh, and mushrooms and really um, had a really bad experience with it and, and actually was tased by police who were trying to take him into custody because he was fighting back. He, was, he said he saw demons and stuff. And he died twice on the way to the hospital. They were able to oh. revive him. I think you had kind of a similar situation in your youth, if I'm not mistaken. I was wondering, um, you know, what it's like to see stories like that in mixed martial arts. There's, there's also Court McGee, a longtime veteran of the sport, uh, who I'm sure you're very familiar with. Th does that kind of thing uh, resonate with you at all when you hear those stories? Absolutely, man. That the, speaks to the power of this sport. This is, you don't hear about that stuff in football or, or basketball. Um, I'm, I'm sure it, it Maybe it happens. I don't know. But, you know, this is a uh, combat sportsman is a very, very powerful thing. Um, and again, when I talk about keeping my gym open, you know, I see people that, um, you know, I think they would 
honestly think they would kill themselves if they didn't have a gym to go to, you know, and, and I think a lot of people rely on it for their mental health. And um, so like the power of martial arts is just something you can't even, there's not even words for it, man. It's such a powerful thing. So uh, I love hearing stories like that. And the guy's life is going to be better no matter what now. I was uh, I was also surprised I, I heard an interview with you that at metal concerts you like to just chill at the back you're not you're not like in the pit or anything well, why don't you get involved in that why, why don't you like being right front and center I used to <laughs> I, yeah I mean I've, I've just done God God I've just done it so many times man I've probably been to a thousand metal concerts in my life and yeah I've been bloodied and beaten and you know puked and everything else at the shows and and now I'm like, I just love the music. So I just sit back and enjoy the music, man. I love the show. And yeah, I'm just too old for that shit now. Is there any head walking in your past? I don't know what that is. Oh, where you, where you jump off the stage and you walk on people's heads. Like you use them as like stones. <laughs> I've never seen that. But, uh, no, I've never done that. <laughs> what's, what's, the, what's your craziest mosh pit war story? Uh... Honestly, probably the craziest one was, um, I mean, it's not really a war story, but probably the craziest one was the first one I ever went to. It was a Pantera concert. It was a Pantera, Soulfly, and Morbid Angel. And I don't know if it was like just because it was my first one ever or or maybe I just grew up or something, but I just remember being smashed so hard I couldn't breathe. Like everybody's pushing forward so hard. Like I just couldn't breathe at all, man. And I puked like three times and – and, uh, you know, I remember one guy, like, I puked on him, and, and he was loving it. He was like, yeah, I'll puke on me. <laughs> oh, jeez. And it's my first metal show ever, you know, so I was like, what? okay, actually, the craziest one, I guess, now that I think about it, would have been uh, Polaris Amphitheater. So it was OzFest 98, 99. I think I was a junior, senior in high school, and Ozzy didn't show up. He had laryngitis. So Phil Anselmo from Pantera tries to step in for Ozzy. And by this time, you know, his show was over. So he done got shit faced backstage, comes out and just did an absolutely horrid job. And um, they tore the whole place down, man. The, the fans went crazy. And it was, uh, they were flipping cars. They were tossing mud, uh, uh, balls of mud everywhere. They, they, there's a, a, a big fence. I still got a piece of the fence somewhere where they tore it down and, that was definitely the craziest thing I've ever seen. My worst one was coincidentally also at a Soulfly concert 23 years ago. I, kicked, I got kicked in the head so hard that, like, I, I think the guy was wearing army boots or something, and I just got rocked. <laughs> that was bad. That was a bad one. But, yeah, that's a long time ago. Are you a metal fan, bro? <laughs> I was. I was. I, I dabble now. I dabble a bit now. I, I was bigger when I was, you know, again, about 23 years ago. I saw that would have been at the Opera House in Toronto, Coal Chamber, Soulfly, and System of a Down, the first show they ever played in Toronto was before their first album came out. Dude, that's a hell of a show right there. Yeah, it's not bad. See, like I said, I dabble. I dabble. Nice, man. <laughs> I didn't tag you as a metalhead. Yeah, I didn't think you would. I mean, looking at the suit, the glasses, it's, it's, it's deceiving. But yes. uh, anyhow, Matt, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. <laughs> what yeah, was that? That's the beauty of metal, right? Yeah, it, it's all, people from all shapes, and the, all shapes and sizes, all backgrounds. It's, uh, it yeah. brings people together. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, best of luck. I'm going to order some coffee off your site later on today uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you against Diego Lima. 
Thank you very much, sir. I'm now joined by lucky Lauren Murphy, the number one contender in the world, even though the rankings don't say it. And the rankings came up today, and they didn't move you up. And I was, I was very perturbed by this. Yeah, they definitely should. I mean, it's okay, though. Like, they, I think they've given... I think they've had the number one contender just ranked anywhere in the top five for a while now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. I mean, why have these rankings if you're not going to take an objective look at the records of everybody in the rankings? I mean, Andrade is one and one, and she's the number one contender. Uh, number two contender is Caitlin Chukagian, which I, I can understand, but your record is still better than hers. So it's, it's weird to me. Yeah, it is strange. And uh, I, I've tried not to get too wrapped up in the rankings and stuff because I feel that... Um, I feel that they are hardly ever correct. You know, that's a pretty subjective thing. But, yeah, I'm surprised that Andrade is still ranked above me. That seems weird. I don't think that's right. Well, either way, I don't think they're going to call her for the next title shot. At the, that, that just yeah. happened. So I think you're good in that regard. Uh, the win over Joanne Calderwood, a, a solid win. Uh, I thought that you won the first and the second round. The second round, borderline 10-8. Uh, how did you feel about your performance? Yeah, I felt the same way. I thought it was a great performance. I actually really thought it, it was a fantastic fight. I thought we both showed how badly we wanted that number one contender spot. You know, we fought like we were fighting for a number one contender spot. And uh, I was, um, I thought I won the first round clearly. Like to me, uh, even in the fight, I was like, yeah, we won the first round. And then I went back and watched it. And I was like, I won almost every exchange in the first round. Like I clearly won the first round. Like, is the weed whacker out there loud? I don't hear it. You you're, we're all good. Um, but yeah, I thought I won. I thought I won the first round pretty clearly. I was hitting her with the much harder shots. I was doing far more damage. I was snapping her head back with my right hand. Um, you know, she landed like that one good spin elbow at the end of the round, but it didn't hurt me at all. It landed like the flat of her arm landed on my head, and then I took took her back. So. Um, I don't feel she really did any damage to me. None of her kicks got through. All the kicks that she threw in the first round were blocked. Um, so I was actually surprised when they said split decision. I was like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Here we go. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people don't know the difference between a checked kick and like, a kick that actually lands. Do you, do you agree with that in terms of when people look at, at fights and how they score them, I guess, from home? Yeah, because... Uh, a bunch of people are like, oh, she outstruck you in the first round. But it's like, not really. Like, the, you know, teeps to my thigh aren't really doing it for me. Like, a lot of stuff that she did land was just her touching, trying to find her range. And none of it did any damage. Um, you know, we worked hard to, to block all those left kicks that we knew that she was going to throw. And she did throw a lot of them. She got some through in the third round. She finally started finding her timing on them. But that first round, nothing got through. Do you feel like this was the best version of both yourself and Joanne going into this fight? Because, I mean, you're 37, but you, you've, you've never looked sharper than you did uh, this past weekend. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Um, I, it was definitely the best JoJo we've ever seen. Um, her cardio was on point. Um, I thought she committed to her strikes more than she normally does. Her feet weren't coming close together like they normally do. She really did a good job of moving, especially in the third round and not letting me get close to her. She was keeping her hips back. So I think I think that was the best JoJo we've ever seen. Um, as for myself, it was one of my better performances, but I don't think you guys have seen the best Lauren Murphy yet. I was actually really disappointed in myself for not uh, finishing her. I went back to the hotel that night and I was super bummed that I didn't get the finish. I was so close to it and... Um, 
I, you know, I was so close to having the performance that I really, really wanted to have. So, um, I feel like my best is yet to come. You know, you guys are going to see my best, I think, in the next fight. And when the fight ended, everybody gets on social media and says, why even make this fight with, with Valentina Shevchenko? The, the odds are going to be so long. And the thing that bothers me about that is why even bother competing then? Like, if, if that would be the mentality that somebody would have to, towards heading for a championship, you wouldn't have won the fight this past weekend if you had that mentality. It just, it's just yeah. strange to me that people don't understand that the whole point of competing is to get to the top of the division, which you've done. Yeah, no, exactly. I've definitely earned my title shot. Um, nobody in the division has a resume anything close to mine, like not even in the same galaxy as mine. Um, not only do I have the longest win streak in the division besides the champion herself, um, but if you look at the caliber of opponent that I've been facing consistently, not just at 125 either, but in my entire UFC career and in my entire MMA career as a whole, I've always faced really, really tough opponents. Um, I'm getting my hand raised consistently against those opponents. So nobody else has the win streak that I have. But also it's like there's other things that factor into that, like um, how quickly I made it to the UFC, like how quickly I actually rose to the top in my career. Um, the fact that I've never been finished or even close to being finished. The fact that a lot of like I have four losses on my record and like three out of four of those were decisions that could have gone either way. Um yeah, I've never been rocked. Nobody's ever had a 10-8 round against me. Nobody's ever whooped my ass in the octagon. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a tank out there, really. Like, I'm durable. I'm gritty. I'm tough. I make fights hard for everybody, no matter who they are. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to give Valentina a hell of a fight, and I can't wait to go out there and, and shock the world. I can't wait to go out there and shock the world. We've been doing it up to this point, and I think we're going to keep doing it. Well, I looked at the rankings. I don't think there's anybody who has a win streak that goes beyond one year, maybe two years. You, you've, you've been undefeated for three years uh, in the flyweight division. And you talk about your losses. There's only one of those in the flyweight division. So I wouldn't even hold the other ones against you. Because if you're going to hold losses against I mean, Jessica, I competed for the title. Nobody's holding her bantamweight losses against her. Her bantamweight record was not good. I mean, in, in all fairness, and she, I'm sure she would admit it too, her bantamweight record wasn't anything to write home about. So, I mean, I, I don't feel like it's fair to hold... Uh, pre-flyweight losses against anybody that's competing in a new division. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And uh, even if they wanted to, it's like those losses at bantamweight were super close. They were all the UFC title contenders at, you know, at a higher weight class. So, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not really sweating that. Like, I don't think the losses on my record are indicative at all of the kind of fighter that I am today. And uh, I definitely love the fact that I've made so much growth and that, you know, this is really like a, like a Cinderella story to me. Like, um, I, I said it in the press conference after the fight. Like, I literally grew up in a dirt road, on a dirt road in Alaska. Go get him. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I started this sport when I was 26. And four years later, I was in the UFC competing against the best women in the world. And... You know, seven years after that, I've been in the UFC for seven years now, and I'm on a five-fight win streak, and I'm ready to go compete for the title. I've definitely, you know, earned my shot there. I Like, I've earned my spot across from the best in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And tell me if you think I'm onto something here. I find that when you have two highly ranked 
fighters in the flyweight division, I always tend to lean with the fighters that have competed at, at bantamweight before versus the ones that, com- that moved up from strawweight. I mean, that was the situation this past weekend. Do you think that that's fair? I, I think that the physicality that somebody brings from moving down from bantamweight is much higher than what you would face at strawweight. I mean, Andrade is kind of an outlier because she's, she's competed in both divisions. Yeah, Andrade is a bit of an outlier, but... Yeah, my physicality and my strength make me a tough fight for sure. Like the takedown that I got in the second just felt easy, easy. And, you know, JoJo spent her whole camp training how to not get taken down by me. And then I went out there and just made it look like like I was taking down an infant, you know. So uh, I, I think that my strength and my physicality, like combined with my toughness and my heart, make me just a tough fight for anybody. You know, people have been overlooking that for a really long time because – I think there's there's something about like when the crowd watches like a really pretty fighter that does a lot of pretty moves and um, like they like to watch that. But it's fighters that have toughness and grit and heart that get in there and make fights ugly and stay in your face and hit you hard and make you tired. Like those are the fighters that are going to come out with their hands raised when the when the going gets tough. Those are the fighters that get going, you know. And when I look at uh, Valentina Shevchenko, the thing that I've always said about her is if you were to grade every fighter's assets, uh, I guess their attributes, out of 10, I mean, maybe John Jones might be the closest one to being a 10 almost across the board. But Valentina Shevchenko is like a solid 8.5 to 9 in every single category in MMA. Do you see any sort of holes in her game? Because I'm sure if you're on your game that night and you, you bring your best game, that's going to be a competitive fight regardless. But w- what do you see from Valentina Shevchenko that you might be able to exploit? Is there anything you see or is it just be my best Lauren Murphy that night? Yeah, she's got a couple holes in her game that I've seen in her other fights. You know, I've seen her um, appear human in a few moments in her other fights, you know, and I think that my team is brilliant. My coach is brilliant. Um, he's going to find ways to exploit those. He's going to find ways to exploit those weaknesses. And I think, too, that it is a great weakness to think that you don't have any weaknesses. I think that is a great weakness. Do you feel like it's been better for you to go to Houston and, uh, and move there from Arizona? Uh, do you feel like you've really stepped up your game? You mentioned your coaches. I mean, uh, your husband, Joe, is, is, a, is he your head coach, I believe? And the, Bob Perez, you mentioned as well. Um, who's, who's your third coach in your corner? Uh, my third coach is actually my head coach. His name is Alex Cisne. Um, he's, uh, I don't know, he's not famous, but he is incredible. He is, he's brilliant. He's been a martial artist his entire life. Um, he has five black belts uh, in five different arts. And um, wow. they're both, yeah, he has black belts in both striking arts and grappling arts. He's a judo black belt, a jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, he's competed in Sonda for 20 plus years. Um he actually competed with like Kung Lee and uh, Muslim Salikov in Sonda. So, I mean, the, the guy's been competing a long time. He's, he's just a really brilliant coach. He's very patient with me. And we're 9-0 and together. I'm, I'm undefeated with him. He took me through Invicta to the Invicta Championship. And now he's taken me, you know, through this flyweight career to the UFC Championship. And I've never lost a fight with him. And I don't think we're going to be losing anytime soon. And then um, Bob Perez is my striker coach and Joe is my grappling coach so if we had to like put a name on it that's that's how I would kind of divide everybody up but they work so cohesively like as a team the three of them work so cohesively together that it's no problem for Bob to step in and give advice about something out here that maybe doesn't have to do with striking Joe can give advice about you know um, stuff that doesn't they have to do with grappling Alex is um he's a wise man so he's open to listening to you know stuff that our other coaches have to say and and 
yeah, it's a, it's a really cohesive team. And if anybody can figure out the Valentina Shevchenko puzzle, those guys can. So he was your coach before you moved to Arizona to the lab. And then when you moved back to Houston, you went back under his tutelage. Is that how that worked out? Yes, sir. That's exactly how it worked. So how long did you live? I mean, you mentioned your upbringing. Walk me through that. So you, you grew up in Alaska. Um, you had a child, I know, at kind of an early age. How, what was your journey like to get from Alaska to where you are now? Yeah, I grew up in Alaska. I lived there for like 30 years. And uh, I, I really did grow up on a dirt road way out in the middle of nowhere in a, in a small town right outside Anchorage. Um, and then as, when I got older, I moved to the big city. I moved to Anchorage and <laughs> lived out there. But um, I met Joe in Alaska and he was in the military. And so I had started fighting. I think I had four professional fights at featherweight when I lived in Alaska and I was just kind of having fun dicking around with it. Like didn't, you know, women weren't even allowed in the UFC at that time. So, um, Joe got transferred to Florida and a coach of mine that was in Alaska that I really liked had moved down to Houston. And so we moved to Florida, the coach moved to Houston. And then I went from Florida to Houston to get my blue belt from him. Uh, this was way back in 2012. And so I showed up in Houston. I got to meet everybody. I met Alex Cisne. Um, and while I was in Houston, Invicta offered me a contract and also, um, um, legacy the you know back before it was um before uh, what did they turn into legacy turned into like uh lfa yeah yeah they, they merged with rfa yeah yeah um anyway legacy offered me a fight so i did a fight out here it was my fifth pro fight it was at 135 it was my first bantamweight fight and then after that i i um took my invicta contract and started fighting through my invicta contract and so um, anyway, Alex was with me for all of those. We won all of those fights all the way up to the championship. I won the Invicta belt. Um, I was 8-0. And then the coach that I had gotten my blue belt from, uh, his name was Pat. He ended up moving to the East Coast. And I was like, oh, I don't want to move to the East Coast. <laughs> so <laughs> we started we started looking around at like, it was like I knew I was probably going to go to the UFC. I was 8-0. Um, I started kind of looking around at like bigger gyms where we could go. Like we talked about maybe going to ATT. We talked about going to Jackson's and we ended up settling at the lab for five years. And, um, you know, unfortunately I went, I went two and four when I was fighting out of the lab. It wasn't really, I guess what I had envisioned. It wasn't really what I had envisioned for myself. I wasn't really becoming the athlete or the fighter that, that I desperately wanted to be. It was really heartbreaking and so um, when my son graduated high school, he went to high school in Phoenix. And oh, so, so that's what kept we, you there. Yeah, that's what kept us there. Is that I, I promised my son, like, when you go to high school, you'll go to the same high school. You, you know what I mean? I, I think it's hard on kids to uproot them, you know, like that and move them around. And anyway, we did a lot of that when he was younger. So I promised him when you're in high school, we won't do that. And he did have a really good high school experience. I think he made a lot of good friends. And then it just all kind of worked out at the right time when he graduated. Um I ended up in Texas, like kind of on a business trip and reconnected with my old coach. And I met Bob Perez and things just clicked so well that it, it was like destiny. It was like um, every cell in my body was like, it's time for you to move back to Houston. And so we did. And that's when the win streak really began. Now, please tell me the reason you didn't want to move to the East Coast was because it was too cold. And even though you're from Alaska, you were just tired of, of that kind of thing. I am so sick and tired of being cold. <laughs> cold and you know I decided I'm an adult I never have to be cold again <laughs> and so I don't think we'll ever move any further north than Texas. <laughs>
Well, you're saying this to a Canadian who the, the warmest place I can move to is like Vancouver, where it rains for six months of the year. So yeah. I'm a little bit envious <laughs> of that. I mean, maybe in retirement, I might be able to convince my wife to move to stateside. But uh, for now, I'm, I'm, I'm up here <laughs> and uh, we, we deal with the cold. And, you know, it's nice right now. Our weather is probably only a couple de- degrees behind you out there in Houston uh, for the summer. So, yeah, we take what we can get. The summers are nice, but and it's, every once in a while I miss the snow, you know, so it's like I'm going back to Alaska this summer to go visit and maybe I'll go back in the winter just for a few days. But yeah, I'm so over being cold. Like I'm done with it. I love the heat. I love the humidity. I'm a sun baby. I'm with you. I, I, I dread when the summer is ending and when the winter is starting. I just like it. It takes a lot out of me. It's uh, <laughs> it's no fun. But uh, either way, yourself, Valentina Shevchenko, I'm sure you have a, a date in mind for when you'd like to face her. But it's one of those things where I imagine they give you the, they call you and you're ready to go. Yeah. I mean, obviously like the UFC is going to come up with a date and we're going to fight then, but I'm really hoping because Derek is fighting in August for the title. Excuse me. Derek's fighting in August and uh, he's going to go win the title. He's going to get his fifth victory in her own, become the UFC heavyweight champ. And so I want my coaches to be able to focus on him and get him through his camp and um, through his fight. And then, you know, that that's going to be like a big roller coaster. And we're going to peak with Derek winning the title here in Houston. And then I want them to be able to shift all their energy into me. And, uh, th- you know, that way we can have a really great camp and go and put our best foot forward to go and fight, you know, the monster that is Valentina. So I'm hoping that um, we'll fight in like early October, I think would be ideal because that way we can get Derek's fight done one out of the way and then go on to my fight and we'll end the year, you know, with two champions at Main Street. Well, based on what's booked right now, I think October is probably the logical fit. I think you've got two title fights in September, if I'm not mistaken, and two in August. So, I, okay. I, yeah, I think that would make, I think in September you've got uh, Amanda Nunes taking on Juliana Pena and you've got uh, Jan Blachowicz against Glover. So that's already, I think, I don't think they're going to have a third title fight for that. And then October, I think, is a little bit wide open. So I think your timeline makes a lot of sense. Yeah, perfect. I, I like where your head's at. That's awesome. And I, I love that Glover Teixeira got a title fight, too. I'm like, let's go, you know? <laughs> no, seriously, because guys like that, where he worked so hard and he had to go on a five-fight win streak in his own division, and, um, you know, the UFC kind of hesitated to give him a title shot, and he basically made them, you know? And then guys like Brandon Moreno that went out and, uh, you know, his UFC run didn't start the way he wanted it to. And he turned his career around and he shocked the world. You know, he shocked the world twice. I think the first fight even that he and Figueroa had, I think, like really shocked people that it could that he could fight like that. And so I'm really taking inspiration from from these guys around me. You can say the same thing about Jan. I mean, Glover's opponent, Jan had the exact same thing. He had a really rough go early in his UFC career and completely turned it around. Yeah, I think he went one in three, right, in his first four, just like I did. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see. And so I know that a lot of people are counting me out of this fight. I know a lot of people are, are like, already saying I'm going to get destroyed. But it's literally happening all the time in the UFC around them where people um, like me that have just uh, clawed their way to the top and grinded their way to the top, you know, and it ends up paying off it, it, in the in the biggest way. Like it's it's going to happen for me, too. It's happening to people around me all the time. And I think it's available to me as well. Well, it would certainly be a, a good way for your career to end if you were to, I mean, not after that fight, but in general, to have that notch on your belt, beating Valentina Shevchenko, being the first person to do it at flyweight. You mentioned nobody's resume is quite like yours in flyweight. Hers is. Hers is the only one that you can hold up to your resume at flyweight right now. So uh, all the best of luck to you going forward. Uh, look, looking forward to that fight, of course, and hoping it does uh, 
align with your timetable for October. I think that would be a, a good timing. And uh, again, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah, I can't wait to go um, over and over and over again. We're going to do it one more time. He is Terrence T. Rex McKinney, one of the great debuts in UFC history, the fastest knockout in lightweight history, seven seconds. When I heard the nickname T-Rex, I was thinking you'd be like a really vicious guy with short arms, but then I realized it's T-Rex with a W. How'd you come up with that nickname? Um, cause you know, I like to, cause I be trying to wreck people. So like, it's just how it just came together. Cause I was T-Rex in high school when I wrestled, cause I was kind of small. I was 98 pounds when I started wrestling. Well, it's a, it's a great nickname, and it lived up to the name, uh, of course, this past Saturday. Uh, you just came back from an MRI. You don't have any sort of result yet, but uh, what do you think happened after the fight in terms of your knee? Do you think it's a minor injury? I think it's minor. I think I just hyperextended it because, like, it's getting easier and easier to walk every day. Well, if that's the case, how quickly would you like to get back in the cage? Uh, I, you haven't put in much work in terms of actual in-cage time uh, over the last couple fights. So when are you thinking of getting back in there? Uh, if everything's good, I plan on fighting by September. So you fought recently, and then your phone rings. It says Jason House on it. What are you thinking the call's about? Um, I knew what the call's about, and I just had to talk to my coach, but I was going to take the fight either way. So you knew that, that he was going to call you only if like a UFC fight uh, had opened up? Yeah, because I told him I'll take short notice. UFC fights don't matter. Put me in. So where were you at the time when you found out about it? What state were you in? Were you back in Washington? I was back in Spokane, Washington. So how easy was it for you to get back, uh, over to Las Vegas from there? Well, the fight was in Glendale, Arizona, but it was a super easy flight, like two to three hours. Right, yeah, it was in Arizona. I guess it's still pretty uh, pretty close to Vegas, so two, three hours. You, you were able to get out there. When did you land in Arizona? That's, I believe that same day I got there, like 3.40 p.m. Yo, the same day you got the call you landed there? Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's a quick turnaround. So uh, you had to just basically pack everything up and get out there and, and your team was able to join you as well? I didn't even get the pack, but yeah, my coach was there. I just had gloves and my mouth guard and stuff and my phone and a backpack. The essentials. That's all. I mean, that's, that's what you need, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of your story has been told uh, previously. You, you um, had, have overcome a, a really serious addiction. Uh, problem, I guess, that happened in college. You had such a decorated wrestling career in high school. How did you end up falling into addiction in college? What, what Was it just basically you were around the wrong people or you were in bad situations? Uh, that and also, like, I finally got freedom, so, like, I just went a little bit too wild. Yeah, so, so how did you confront that situation where, I guess, I mean, it's, it's pretty documented by now, you ended up... I guess overdosing, I guess, would be the, the right way of saying it, and dying twice on the way to the hospital before being revived. And I thought, also, I did wrestle with the cops for like an hour or six of them, so I think that played a huge factor as well, knowing how fast your heart beat using drugs and stuff, you know? So what was, what was that experience like? Like, coming out of that, does that change your entire perspective on life? Uh, yeah, I knew I needed to sit down and really get my life together because, like, obviously the route I was going wasn't going to keep me alive. And right there, getting the second chance, I knew I was destined for something. So, like, it was it was no problem ever doing those type of drugs again. Did you go right into rehab, or, you know, immediately after that, that situation? And, and do you remain, I guess, um, I, in the program? 
Oh, sorry. I didn't go to no rehab or anything like that. I just had a great support system around me, like my family. I was pretty much the only kid 20 and grounded at my house that summer. Oh, you were grounded for the entire. You got grounded for the entire summer at age twenty. You, you're you're not. You're going to accept that that punishment at the time. Your mom. I know you and your mom are somewhat close yeah. in age, right? But so so she hands down that penalty, and you're like, okay, I've earned this. Yeah, my mom's a beast. There's not that color. No, that's for sure. <laughs> You have a very close relationship with your mom. She's like your your best friend. I, I saw an interview with her right before you got this fight where she talks a little bit about what you've overcome and, and how close you two are. So what's the, so when you say you had a great support system, is that what it was? Was just having family and, and having um, your mother help you through that? Yeah, not only that, uh, it was it was the grace of God. And, and I just wanted to be better. Seeing my brother sad like that, I was so scared. I was all cut up and bloody and stuff, man. I didn't want my brothers to ever have to experience something like that again, or my little too. Have you done any sort of public speaking about uh, you overcoming this addiction to, to help other kids that might be uh, possibly in peril down the line? Yeah, I helped out with YPI and Spokane, which like the youth police initiation. And I helped speak at like middle schools and high schools for like a while. Uh, so when you win that fight and you get on the phone with your mom, does she does she lecture you about the knee injury? Did she say you celebrated too hard? Nah, she's just so <laughs> happy. And she didn't care about me and needed it. I was so grateful to God for the outcome of the fight. So if everything's okay with your knee, how soon would you like to compete again? I'm trying to fight again by September for sure. Are you looking to stay in the lightweight division? Because I believe you fought at featherweight before, if I'm not mistaken. I'll never go 145 again unless it's like I only have to do it one time. Like it'd have to be right after I get the belt. Right? Was a bad weight cut for you? Yes, yeah, really hard weight cut. Yeah, whenever I, I talk to people that moved up to 55 that used to fight at 45, they always say never again. I, Dustin Poirier used to ask him about featherweight. He would just say, "There's just no way it's ever going to happen again." Yeah, I think it's the same for me right now. I look, as you saw on the vid, on the live stream of the fight, I felt like I looked just as big. Definitely looked like I definitely should fight at 55. So, your fights have gone really quickly. I guess the last four fights have been I guess uh, under two minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, are you hoping to be able to show off more of your skills, or do you like just getting in and getting out? You don't get paid by the minute. Um, I'm definitely doesn't matter. I think I'm, I feel like I'm a dynamic finisher. So I'm looking to finish the fight, whether that's in the first, second, or third round. I'm ready to put it all on the line out there. And I know I'm healthy, and a healthy Terrence is a dangerous Terrence. I had heard uh, you in another interview, I think it was with Mike Hex, say that you want to be like Conor McGregor. You want to show how dynamic you are in every fight and make it almost like an event whenever you fight. So uh, how do you plan on making that happen? And, and what, what do you think it will take for you to get to that kind of a level? Um, just keep having the kind of performance I'm putting on and just, uh, just being myself, but at the same time staying humble, and, you know, because I, I respect any person that's stepping in the cage, so I'm very respectful of all my opponents. Like I know, like I know the intensity. I know what it takes to mend the preparation to go out there, and put your whole pride online in front of millions of people. You know. What kind of things do you do in your spare time outside of fighting? Uh, do you have any sort of uh, interests, hobbies uh, along those lines outside of training? Um, I I only I only uh I only like train really, and I mostly just stay at my house and watch movies. So you're into movies, you're into music, TV, like, the, you know, the stuff that you would do at home? Yeah, exactly. Do you have any favorites you want to share with me? 
Uh, I don't really have a favorite movie, but Infinity Wars is definitely up there. And and I love Back to the Future. That's like one of my favorite movies. I watch it all the time. So you're getting a bonus. Do you want to buy those uh, self-tying shoes that they put out for uh, a limited uh, time? Is that, is that something that you, you would want to get? I'm definitely getting a pair of those for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, it's uh, nice chatting with you, Terrence. Best of luck going forward. Hopefully we get to see you in there again, maybe for a little bit longer. But if it's for you know less time, that's more bonus money for you. And less work. So I, I, hope, I hope that that's in your future as well. Uh, appreciate you and look forward to speaking with you again. And thanks, brother. Stay blessed, man. A huge thank you to all of our guests. Dan 50K Ige, Marlon Vera, Davey Grant, Matt Brown, Lauren Murphy, Terrence McKinney, and to you, the listener, for tuning in to this wonderful program that we bring to you on a week-to-week basis. And all I ask in return is that you go to iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get these podcasts, leave a nice review, five stars, helps the show, and it makes me feel nice inside, which is really what it's all about, isn't it? My own feelings. But uh, appreciate you listening, and we'll have the standard podcast coming up soon, myself and Bazooka Joe recapping UFC 263, looking ahead to this weekend's card, talking about uh, Clarissa Shields, and so much more. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with more great interviews. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.